There's a cost to following Jesus. It's just not fire insurance. We gotta get away from this utter foolish, heretical nonsense that we come to Jesus and it's just fire insurance and then we just live as we want to. That's not how this works. And so many people are deceived. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. All right, let's take our Bibles and let's turn to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45, going to be looking at just one verse today, verse 22. And I pray you have your Bible with you today because we're going to go deep into the Word because we know it's the Word of God that changes our hearts. Amen? Let's just pause for a moment. Quiet our hearts. And I want you to ask right now, as we are praying, communing to God, I want you to ask Him, Oh God, speak to my heart today. God, I pray that as the Word is spoken, that I would receive the Word of God gladly. Father, I pray that the implanted Word would be driven deep into the bedrock of my soul. God, I pray that you would block out every care of the world and prepare me right now, oh God. Prepare me to devour your word, to love your truth deeply as we fix our eyes upon you, oh God. As we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Oh God, to you be the praise. Oh God, to you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There in your Bible, Isaiah 45, as we begin to go deeply right now into the Word, the text simply says this in verse 22, one simple yet potent powerful dynamite verse it says look to me capital m and be saved all you ends of the earth for i am god and there is no other the title of this message is simply Where am I looking? Let me ask you that question today. Where are you looking? When the dust settles, when the music fades, where are you looking? See, the context of this verse and the chapter and all that's going on in this context is simply this. Isaiah, as we know, is often referred to as the the fifth evangelist. Isaiah itself, this book, is 
often referred in theological circles as the fifth gospel. Not from a canonical viewpoint, but just from a, the theme of the book of Isaiah is all about Jesus. It's all about His glory. It's all about His suffering. It's all about what Christ did and what He's doing and going to do. And as we conclude here in our study of these 40 days of prayer and Scripture and launching into what God has for us next, I can think of no better way than to wrap up and put a big red bow on what we've been doing by speaking of salvation that is only through Jesus Christ. And with that said, here again is this simple verse, and the first part is simply, look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth. Look, what's it mean to look? If someone asked you today, what does it mean to look, what would you say? Well, here in the original language, it means this in this context to turn toward, to behold. Don't miss that. And by the way, make a note of this in your notes that this is not a suggestion in the text here. This is an imperative command. Look. Where? Where are we looking to? Who or what are we beholding? Well, the text is very simple. It says, to me, referring to God. Look to me. Behold me. Treasure me. Focus on me. Set your affections on me, God says. God says, have your aim towards me. I'm the bullseye. Not the trappings of life. Not the bigger house, not the fancier car, not the grander bank account, not the retirement fund. No, God says, it's me. It's my glory, God says. Look to me. Where are you looking today is the real question. Why are we ultimately looking to God here in this text? Why? What's the why behind this? Well, again, the text says, look to me, God, and be what? Not a trick question. And be saved. What does it mean to be saved? Depending on who you ask, that answer can mean a multitude of things. What does it mean to be saved? Well, I walked an aisle in the church. Praise God. Are you really saved? Well, I raised a hand. I, I said a hocus-pocus prayer. I, I wrote on a card. I did whatever they asked me to do. I even got baptized. But are you really saved? What does it mean to be saved? It means this, to be delivered from, to be rescued from, to be victorious. See, we don't save ourselves. We get rescued from something by someone else. 
And we know that in the salvation process that we get rescued from sin by Jesus Christ alone. We're dressed in His righteousness alone, and we are therefore faultless to stand before the throne, faultless to stand before the throne. I don't know of anyone who gets rescued from something by themselves. I've never been in conversation with someone who said, you know, you wouldn't believe it, preacher, but I got rescued this week. You did. Awesome. What happened? Well, I was in a torrential downpour of a current and it was raining so hard and I got stuck in the rapids and the waters that were flowing down my street. It swept me away. And as I got swept away, there was nothing I can do. And as I got swept away, there was nothing I could do. Yet, I rescued myself. I've never heard that story before. I always hear the different story. Well, I was trapped. I was being swept away, whatever it might be. And someone pulled me from the rapids. Someone pulled me from the pit. I couldn't do anything. I was helpless. I was hopeless. And yet someone pulled me from where I was. And they brought me from where I was going to nowhere to the abyss. And they brought me to higher ground. That's what Jesus does. We're helpless and we're hopeless. And we're condemned to death. But God, who is rich in mercy, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love towards us, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's being saved. We therefore are looking to Christ. We are trusting in Christ. We are giving our life to Christ. We are trusting by faith in Him as we turn from, as we're looking away from and looking to, as we are now beholding not ourselves anymore. We're not beholding our sin. We are beholding Jesus and Him alone. As we repent and turn from the sin, and turn towards the Savior. See, that's why key number one in your notes, I want you to write this down. Key number one. If I am going to look to God, I must look away from everything else, especially myself. Let me say that again. Key number one. If I am going to look to God, comma, I must look away from everything else, comma, especially myself. If someone says to you, look over here, in order to look over here, you have to first look away from over there. 
I know that's a deep theological statement, and I'm sure you're mesmerized and you are wowed, right? Pretty simple. If someone says, look over here, in order to look over here, I have to first look away from over there. See, where I'm looking is where I'm headed. Where you are looking is where you're headed. If you're looking towards Jesus, you are headed towards Christ. If you're looking towards the world and the trappings of the world and the American dream, and you're somehow trying to fix your eyes on Jesus, you cannot fix your eyes, you cannot missile lock on Jesus and the world simultaneously. It's absolutely impossible. You will either love one or love the other. Think about this, anything or anyone that you look to for your hope other than God will only bring disappointment, period. Think about that. Anything or anyone that you look to for your hope, for your identity, for your security in this life will only ultimately bring disappointment, You can't get the perfect job. You can't have the perfect spouse. You can't live in the perfect neighborhood. You can't drive the perfect car. You can't have the perfect bank account. You can't have the perfect retirement fund because there's no such thing as perfect in a broken, fallen, depraved world. But yet we pursue these as though they are perfect, don't we? And all they will do, all they will do is in the end bring disappointment to our aching, hungry, thirsty hearts. Have you ever said to someone, look at me? Perhaps you're a parent in the room today and you know where I'm going with this one, don't you, parents? Oh, you're a parent. And that young child, maybe that middle-aged child, maybe that teenage child, you say, look at me. Boy, that has our attention, doesn't it? I remember my dad, when he would say, look at me, I knew exactly what he really meant. He meant straighten up. He meant get your act together. And so many times when you hear that looking at me, it may be for a disciplinary reason, but perhaps it's also for just a heartfelt love that the parent is pleading with the child. Not just to discipline and train them, but out of caution. Look at me, they're saying. Oh, look at me. There's a pleading with. God is pleading in this text here as you look there in the context of what is going on. That here in chapter 45, you see Cyrus has come on the scene. And in the midst of this, there is this pleading with the people to not cohabitate with idols. And God here in this text is saying, look to me and be saved. Don't look to your idols. In our context of the world, there are so many idols, and I've listed so many already. The house, the cars, the bank account, the relationships, the idea of perfection. If I just get X, I will finally have peace and joy and contentment. There are so many idols that are jockeying for the kingship and the lordship of our heart. And we know this, there's only one person that can truly satisfy the pain, take away the hurt, 
bring reconciliation and restoration to your life today. And His name is Jesus Christ. Look to me. This is what God says. Missile lock on me. Dialed into me. Be focused with an utter determination on me and only me. Put on spiritual blinders what God is saying. Look to me. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Just look at God through His Son, Jesus Christ. See, when looking to God, the most difficult person I've learned to look away from is truly myself. Write down Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 37. Mark 8, 34 through 37. Here's what Jesus speaks about the high cost of truly following Him. That the bar is not low, the bar is high. That there's expectation. Just not joining a church, just not showing up at church. No, there's expectations when following Christ. And here's what he says. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, don't miss this, if anyone would come after me, so if you really want to follow Christ, here he goes, let him, let her, deny himself, herself first, and take up his cross and follow me. Think about this. So here Jesus puts the bar really, really high. He says, look, I'm going to put the most difficult thing you and I will ever do out there, Jesus says, as he's in hypostatic union, fully man, fully divine, yet without any sin, there's no sin in Jesus Christ. And he says, look, here's where the bar is. You must deny you. Now, those are fighting words of the flesh. Who wants to deny themselves in this me-centered, selfie generation that we live in? It's all about me. It's all about what I'm not getting. It's all about my rights. It's all about my vote. It's all about me. And the Bible actually screams just the opposite. The Bible actually screams, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. It's about God and His glory. That's who it's about. And he goes on when he says here in that same text, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Did you catch that? Now he gets really, really down to the point as he sharpens the pencil. When he says this in a question, he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? For what can a man give in return for his own soul? Think about this, dear one. The life that follows Christ understands and embraces that you actually live by dying, you win by losing. The way up is down. You give your life away to gain your life. It makes no earthly, fleshly sense, but we don't operate according to the flesh. We operate according to Scripture. We follow God for His praise, for His glory, and we give our lives away to actually gain life. Another one of my favorite passages in regarding giving self away is Galatians 2, verses 19 through 20. Galatians 2, 19 through 20. 
And here Paul writes to the church there in Galatia, and he says this, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Did you catch that? There's a dying to live. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, don't miss this, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Christ gave his life for you that you might live. And so often we quote this verse, it's no longer I, it's Christ. We see it all the time. I see it on bumper stickers. But I think it's high time we no longer do just the bumper stickers. I think it's high time we no longer just put it on a t-shirt. I think it's high time that we no longer just put it on a coffee mug. I think it's high time we no longer etch it on a toothbrush. I think it's high time we start living this verse. It's no longer I, but Christ. See, this is the high cost of following him. There's a cost of following Jesus. It's just not fire insurance. We got to get away from this utter foolish, heretical nonsense that we come to Jesus and it's just fire insurance and then we just live as we want to. That's not how this works. And that so many people are deceived. Deceived as they think this is how this works. That if I just partially, that if I just partially give my life to Christ, I'm in, I'm in the club, checked off all the boxes. And Jesus says, I don't want you in my club. I want to take over your life. I want to transform your life, he says. I want to make all things new. I want to give you true life. Not this life of this earth that's fading and passing away. I want to give you true life that's abundant and free. But in order for you to do that, John, for you to do that, dear one listening right now, the way that you do it is you give your life completely in total surrender, in total abandon. As a willing slave, you give it to Christ. You throw it at Christ. You heap it on Christ. Many people will pray with a smile. Oh God, thy kingdom come. But how many, truthfully, will exclaim with joy from the wellspring of their hearts, my kingdom be exterminated. How many, how many, every person, dear one today, myself included, every one of us is building a kingdom. Either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self. Which one are you building? We're all building a kingdom. Either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self. Which one are you building? The self-centered life is not an option for the true believer. It's a contradiction in terms. A habitually self-centered Christian lives a life that doesn't represent who Christ really is. They represent a life that has really never been transformed. And these are yet again fighting words to the flesh in this me-centered, me-exalting, me-driven, me-saturated culture. Because we're inundated with a concept that's all about me. And again, the Bible says, actually, that's not how this works. The Bible says, John, it's not about you. 
The Bible says you're going to go low and decrease while my son Jesus Christ infinitely increases in your life. He takes over your life. That's what the Bible shows. That's what the Bible says. Joy, Jesus, others, you, J-O-I. How about you? Is that your true joy? Is that your true hope? Is that your true identity and security? Jesus, others, you, in that order? The irony is as we pursue this self and all that goes on to the selfishness that we all struggle with and grapple with is that this is a runaway train. This is a hollow runaway train. And this pursuit is so self-deceiving and so self-destroying. It's ironic, isn't it? Selfishness is so self-deceiving and so self-destroying. As the claws, the claws of this vice, of the self-saturated delusion, ensnare, entrap our souls. And therefore now we are what? Well, here's what happens. We're so blinded, we're deceived, we're seduced, we're led astray, we're held captive, that we do not even recognize that we are pursuing ourselves in selfishness. We are so blinded. That's the deceitfulness of sin that the Bible talks about. We don't even know it. We rationalize it. As we're pursuing self and really our own glory, if we're honest. See, in order to be fully alive in Christ, I must first die to self. I pray that everyone in the room today that we just long to die empty of self. I pray that's my prayer for me, and I pray that's my prayer for you, that you long for, that your aim is to die empty of self, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to not quench the Holy Spirit, but to be filled in such a way, with such power, that God works through you, He works in you, He works beyond you all for the praise of His glory and for the fame of His name. Because truthfully, for me and for you, for every true convert in this room today, if you really want to follow Christ, the reality is that we are now extinct. That old man is gone, the old woman's gone, the old student, the old child. We are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away, but all things, praise be to God, have become new. Listen to this one Bible verse. I want you to write it down in Scripture here. John 17, 3. Just write that down. John 17, verse 3. It so beautifully sums up what being saved is and the power of the great God of the Bible. In this one short verse from John 17, verse 3, where Jesus is having the high priestly prayer. Where Jesus is communicating this high priestly prayer. Here's what is said in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. Don't miss that. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you understand this? We quote John 3, 16 all the time. Love the verse. It's a glorious verse. But we now go to John 17, 3 today. John 17, 3. And here's eternal life. 
that they, that the people, that I, that you may know you, the one true God. There's only one true God, and that's the great God of the Bible. And also know Jesus Christ, your Son whom you've sent. This word know does not mean intellectually to know, but it means a not passive way, but there is action. This word know is just not intellectual. Oh, no, it's not. This word know means this. There's intimacy there. There is a deep knowing. There is a surrender. There is action that the life has truly been transformed. I mean, think about this for a moment. Your sins are no longer imputed to you, and you no longer have to bear the brunt when you truly know Christ, when you truly know the one true living God. Oh, no, no, no. You have now heaped your sin on Jesus. You just dump all your sin on Jesus. And His grace is sufficient. Amen? I get this, though, because you're wondering, you're going, wait a minute. Are you telling that my sin has truly been redeemed? Yes, yes, and more yes, when you truly give your life to Christ. The sin bearer himself, Jesus Christ, he takes all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your pain. He's the only one that can do this. There again is nothing in this life that will bring you the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. Nothing. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. But I know you're probably thinking, hey, I've had a lousy morning. Now, someone took my parking space and, and a good grief. You know, there was a donut there. I was in the Sunday school line and the guy before me, I had my eye on the donut. And, and sure enough, it was the last donut. It was the last donut. And I wanted that donut. And it's been a crummy, crummy morning. The church coffee shop didn't have pumpkin spice coffee. Man, this has been a lousy, crummy, stinking morning. I get it. I understand. Your best friend didn't even say hello to you in the foyer. It has been a crummy, crummy, lousy morning. Well, let me give you some good news. Write down Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Listen to these glorious words from verses 6 through 11. Glorious, glorious good news. I don't know how lousy your morning has been. I don't know how lousy your last day was. I don't know how lousy your week, your month, your life has been. But listen to these good words. Listen to these glorious words. Listen to these great words. Listen, dear one, today to the Word of God. Romans chapter 5, 6 through 11. It says this. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Think about that. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Now look at verse 8. Here's those two words in Scripture that are so glorious. But God. 
But God demonstrates, he shows, he demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about this. This is great news. It gets even better though, verse 9, much more than, okay, here we go, much more than having now been justified by His blood, we are declared righteous by His blood. We shall be saved from the wrath through Him. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, don't miss that, then when we are not in Christ, we are an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, He doesn't know you, you haven't given your life to Him, here's the hard reality. You are an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. But what does the text say? Even though we're enemies, we were reconciled. We were brought into divine, perfect fellowship to God. Through the death of His Son. You see that? Freedom's never free. It costs deeply. There had to be a death. There's only the shedding of blood that can give the remission of sins. Without that shedding of blood, there cannot be remission of sins. And because Christ, because of what He did, the sinless, spotless Lamb, as He shed His blood on Calvary, it has set us free. Through the death of His Son, And then there's these words, much more. It gets even better. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved. There's that word saved, rescued. We have been rescued. We are now victorious. By His life is how we're saved. And lastly, verse 11, and not only that, but we also rejoice. We rejoice. In God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Praise, praise, praise be to God. I love what Sinclair Ferguson said. He said Christianity is Christ because there isn't anything else. There is no atonement that somehow can be detached from who the Lord Jesus is. There is no grace that can be attached to you, transferred from Him. All there is, is Christ and your soul. Powerful words. Where are you looking today? What are you looking at? Who are you looking at? Now listen to this bold, emphatic, exclusive, and little G-God-shattering statement at the end of this verse. It says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, everywhere. Everywhere has to look to God because He is the only one through salvation can be attained through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then He makes this bold, exclusive, emphatic, little G, God-shattering statement when He says, for I am God and there is no other. The one true God of the great God. The one true God of the Bible is the God. There are no other gods. There are all kinds of little G gods out there. But there is only one true God. And that's the great God of the Bible. There are no other gods that can compare to our great God. Because there's only one true God. You say, well, what does and there is no other mean? Well, if you are still confused, you could sum it up like this. Zero, nada, nilch, none. There's no other gods. 
That's why I want you to write down key number two. Key number two. Here it is. If I am going to look to the one true God, I must declare with my life that there is no other. Let me say that again and give some emphasis here. Key number two. If I am going to look to the one true God, if you're going to turn to and turn away from sin, if you're going to turn to the one true God and look away from the world, if you're really going to do that and look to the one true God, you must, I must declare with my life that there is no other. We must declare with our life. It's one thing to talk about it. It's a whole other deal to live it. And we can talk about it all day long. But if we're not walking the talk, the talk is not real. The life hasn't really been transformed. See, the goal is to live for the one Jesus who took my place, who took your place, to be Jesus conscious all the time, to be communing, abiding in Him all the day long. See, when we truly have Jesus, we will joyfully joyfully give ourselves away that he might take center stage. Matter of fact, we insist when we are truly under his blood and his righteousness and we are now a new creation, we begin to insist that he take center stage. Don't settle, dear one. Don't settle for cheap, counterfeit, phony, baloney imitations of God's peace. They're everywhere. You can look everywhere. Don't settle for these. Don't settle for these cheap, counterfeit, phony baloney imitations of somehow God's peace because they're not His peace. They're counterfeits. They're delusional. Only the one true God can bring you peace and tranquility of your soul. Isaiah chapter 42 just three chapters prior, verse 8, says this powerful verse. Very simple, but it's, it's so powerful. It says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. Do you understand this? That as one person said, there really is a glory war going on. There's a glory war going on in every one of our lives where we're fighting, where we are fighting and we are grappling for the glory. We don't want to admit it. But we are fighting for the glory. We want the glory in our humanness, in our brokenness, in our depravity. And yet God says this, I am God. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. You know, the irony in this is that this is tragic news to some people. But the raw reality is that we are not the center of the universe, nor we are the center of the gospel. Let me say that again. The reality is that we are not the center of the universe. And yes, the reality is we are not the center of the gospel. For many professed believers, this statement makes them furious and incensed. Why? Because our depraved sin nature, think about this, hungers and thirsts to be me-centric at all times. And yet the Bible screams, as I said before, almost like a neon sign, just neon, neon, neon. 
that's on fire, that God's praise and God's glory are always at the center stage of the gospel and all for the fame of His name and all that He does. The manger and the cross and the empty tomb are are symbols. The manger and the cross and the empty tomb are not evidence that we should be praised and we should be glorified. Actually, they're just the opposite. The manger and the cross and the empty tomb show me how broken I am. How in desperate, dire need I am of repair. And I can't do this on myself. That's what these things represent. These are symbols that crash like a tidal wave into our rebellious hearts. As a bullhorn resounding the infinitely deafening praise and sun-blinding glory of the great God of the Bible and the Son, King Jesus. That's what they represent. Now, are we benefactors of the cross, of the empty tomb, of the manger. Are we benefactors? Oh, praise be to God. Yes, 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 and more yes to that question. We are literally benefactors. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are now sons and daughters of Jesus Christ for what He did, all for the praise of His glory, all for the fame of His name. We benefit from that. But at the beginning of the day, dear one, all the day long, at the end of the day, it's all about God's praise and His glory. See, He's God and there is no other. And as we just read in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. He is not going to give His glory to me or to you or to anyone else. He is jealous for His glory. And yet the alarming and frightening reality is that I think there's many homes, even churches across America and the world, and individuals, yes, even individuals who are struggling as they've exchanged the truth for the lie and switching God's praise for their own praise and replacing God's glory for their own glory as there's now no fear of God before their eyes. And we wonder, we scratch our heads, why is the world in the shambles it's in? When we continue to kick God in the shins, we reap what we sow. Remember, remember, dear one, God's glory is always the hero of the story in Scripture. Always. The glory is totally centered on Him. So much of our world, the self-actualization, all this other nonsense, teaches that you can dig down deep, The power resides within you. No, it doesn't. The power resides within God. I dig down deep and all I get is a bunch of sin, a bunch of filth. And yet Christ, when He atones for that person, when they give their life to Him, He makes all things new. So my question to you again is, where are you looking? But maybe let me ask it like this. Who owns you? Like, who owns your life today? Jesus said in Luke 6, 46 through 49, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Why don't you obey is what he's saying. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Here goes Jesus. 
Verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Is your life built on the rock today? Is your life on the rock? Are you trusting Christ today or are you trusting your bank account? Are you trusting Christ today or are you trusting in your spouse or your marriage or your vehicle or your retirement fund? Who or what are you trusting in? And when a flood arose, as the text goes on and says, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it. You can't be shaken. When you serve the great God of the Bible, you serve the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Why? Because it had been well built. But look at 49. Here's the dichotomy here, the polar opposite. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man. Here we go again who built a house on the ground without a foundation. How silly would that be? Let's just put up a house, no foundation, that there's nothing firm there. Let's just put up a house. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of the house was great. Oh, where are you looking today, dear one? Have you built your life on Jesus Christ, the solid rock? Or have you built your life on sinking sand? Where have you built your life? Who owns you? Where are you looking? See, all roads do not lead to heaven. I know it's not popular in our culture, but not everyone just exits this life and ends up in this Disneyland in the sky. That's not how this works. You say, how do you know? Acts 4.12 says this. Nor is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus and Him alone. You say, can you give me one more? Sure, I'd love to give you one more. John 14, 6. John 14, 6. Jesus said to them, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father but through me. That's a definite article. I am the way, not a way. Not a truth, not a life. Jesus makes this exclusive, emphatic, bold statement when he declares, he says, I'm the way. There's no other way. I'm the way. Can you imagine how that made the religious leaders so ticked off and incensed and furious like it did? They wanted to kill him. Jesus says, I'm the way. He says, I'm the way because I'm the one that can give you true life. Not this counterfeit, phony baloney. That's everywhere around us. Think about this. What kind of God would deliver up His only Son for our sins? What kind of God would do that? The same God who raised Him up for our justification. The same God who goes, I'm going to allow Him to be executed. I'm going to put Him to death. I'm going to give my only Son so that I can raise him up for your justification, so that in the end you will be declared righteous as I, God, look through his blood, my son's own blood, as I look through his blood and I see you, the sinner. Here's what happens. You now are spotless as white as snow. You have been declared, you have been stamped forever righteous when it's a true conversion. So here's what we have to do today. Every one of us has to ask ourselves individually, where am I looking? Truthfully. Another way we could even say this to unpack it even more deeply and to dive deeper could be, who is our great God? As we ask this question through his son, Jesus Christ, who is he? Is there power in the name of Jesus is the question. 
Do you believe there's power in the name of Jesus today? When was the last time? When was the last time that, that you heard a message? That you were at a church? That you were at a conference? That you listened on the radio? That you were listening to a podcast? When is the last time? When was the last time where the preacher was praising as he was preaching? He was so shackled to the glory of God that as the Holy Spirit stirred and moved on him, that the Holy Spirit stirred and moved on you. And you therefore just began to stand on your feet. And he said that, I want Jesus. I want Jesus more than anything. I want to look to him and be saved. I don't want any of this nonsense, all this counterfeit, all the charades of life. No, I want Jesus. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you were so madly in love with Jesus Christ? They said, I want Jesus more than anything that the world offers. You began to shower him with praise. You began to shower him with honor. You began to shower him with more glory and glory because the great God of the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ did what you couldn't do, did what I couldn't do as Jesus gave his life that we might be set free. When's the last time? Let me ask you one more time. Is there power in the name of Jesus? I believe there is. Matter of fact, Scripture tells me about the power of the name of Jesus. Scripture outlines so clearly how there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. And he shall be called our advocate, our Alpha and our Omega, the Almighty, the great Amen, the author and the finisher of our faith, the bread of God, the bread of life, our bridegroom. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the chief shepherd. He's the chosen one. He's the chief cornerstone. He's our day spring. He's our deliverer from the wrath to come. He's the door. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the faithful and true witness. He's the first and the last. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the good shepherd. He's the head of the church. He's our great high priest. He's the holy one of God. He's our only hope. He's the horn of salvation. He's the great I am. He's the image of God, the indescribable gift. He's the Lamb of God. He's the leader and the perfecter of faith. He's the leader and savior. He's life. He's the only life. He's the light of the world. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's my Lord and he's my God. Oh, he's Lord God Almighty. He's our mediator. He's our Messiah. He's the bright and morning star. Oh, he's the prince of life. He's the prince of peace. He's our only ransom. He's our only redeemer. He's our only rescuer from this present evil age. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the root of Jesse. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the savior of the world. He's the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. He's the son of man that takes away the sin of the world he is truly the son of the most high he's our only spiritual rock he's the stone rejected by the builders he's our one true god he's our one true vine he's the one who is who was and is to come he's our wonderful counselor he's the word of god he's the word of life oh dear one today he's the king of kings he's the lord of lords he's the way he's the truth oh church with a great 
shout of praise. He truly is. He's our soon and coming King. He's Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's my Jesus. But how about you? Who are you looking at? Is that your Jesus? See, the takeaway question today is very simple. The takeaway question is simply, who or what am I truthfully putting my hope in today? Who or what am I truthfully putting my hope in today? Pause for a moment and ask yourself this question. When the bottom of life falls out, where do you turn? See, where you turn, where you look to, who or what you are beholding during the setbacks of life is exactly where your hope truly resides. How about you? Where are you looking? And as the Holy Spirit speaks mightily in your life right now, here's your action step. Action step. Write it down. If I have not truly given all of my life to Jesus, I will do so today. Action step. If I have not truly given all of my life to Jesus, I will do so today. Remember church back in Numbers 21? Remember the kids of Israel, they complained. I know that's so far-fetched. I know, I can't believe they would do that. But they did. They actually did complain. And God was not happy. God was ticked off. And so God sent some fiery serpents. Well, that should scare us, shouldn't it? We complain. God doesn't like that. God sent fiery serpents. Many died because of this, because of their sin, because of their complaining. God told Moses, he said, look, Mo, he said, do this for me, Mo. Go over here and go make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Well, God doesn't operate how we think. His ways are higher than ours. He says, Moses, he says, Mo, go over there and put this serpent, this bronze serpent on a pole. And all the people had to do, all they had to do to be healed for those that were living was to look at the pole to look at the serpent, to look at this bronze serpent on the pole. They had to look. They had to look towards that. Do you see what's going on here in this Old Testament passage? Do you see this, dear one, today in Numbers 21? Do you see this as Jesus was hung on the cross? Think about the New Testament towards, think about the, New Testament towards the cross as Jesus hung on that cross. He was shouting with his marred, battered, and bloody body, Look at me! Look at me. Look at my righteousness. Look at my substitutionary atonement. Look at this as I took your place. Look at my forgiveness. Look at my blood that I'm shedding for you. Look at my grace. Look at my mercy. Look at my redemption. Look at my propitiation and the power as the wrath of my great God, my Father, has been satisfied as I've taken your place. Look at how I justify you. Look at Jesus, dear one, today and be saved, be rescued, be victorious, be set free. Father, we come before you in this time as we lift up humble hearts and holy hearts. 
God, I pray that, that we would all just simply repent. I pray for those that need to be converted, they would do so right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. That their sins may be forgiven, may be blotted out. And oh God, I pray that times of refreshing may come from your presence, oh God, and your presence alone as we look to you, as we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now sits at your right hand. Oh God, I pray we will look to you and turn from sin. And may you be glorified. And may you be praised. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of the risen, conquering King himself, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name and his name only. Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.